So I remember as a kid, Easter was about Easter egg hunts. It was about the basket. It was about the new suit. My mother always made us get suits and shoes and that kind of thing. So yeah, it was about that. And a long church service. I remember, I remember growing up in, in Venezuela and and uh, we would always do a sunrise service. Did y'all do that? So we'd meet at somebody's house and I remember we set up chairs and uh, wait for the sun to come up and um, and then food, lots of food. Remember people would bring dishes to share and kind of do a big potluck breakfast and uh, that that's kind of the clearest memory that I have about Easter. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, <laughs> Easter morning wasn't. Because she was I wasn't a Christian. She's a heretic. I wasn't a Christian. She's a heretic. She's a sinner. No. No. Don't you put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I have to preach a whole sermon. What do you mean by um, Yeah, I wasn't a Christian. So uh, Easter morning in California did not mean much. I mean, there was, you know, the Easter egg hunts. And I'm. I probably went on an Easter egg hunt, um, but that, it, that wasn't connected to anything religious. For me at that time, it was just a fun thing to do and what people do on Easter. Let me ask you, like, <laughs> can you remember the first, the first Easter that was powerful to mm. you, like in terms of the resurrection? Mm. Yeah, like my, the first Easter, I was 16, so, and that's when I got saved. And that Easter was huge for me because I'm like, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian now, like this actually means something. So. Um, I still didn't have a church, so I found a church to go to that Sunday, and I'm sure the service was not as exciting as I was, but, like, I was just like, yeah, like, he rose, so, it, I remember feeling like this means a whole lot more to me at the time than I thought it meant to other people who might have, you know, grown up with it, and it's sort of just a tradition, it's what we do, um, but it was really, really, really exciting and meaningful and significant for me. Yeah, yeah. That we believe somebody mm -hmm. actually came. <laughs> well, yeah, we believe. <laughs> like, we, I, I think that that's important that we don't, when we think about the resurrection, it's not like symbolic. It wasn't a metaphor for, you know, how you too can <laughs> be lifted from your despair. Like, we actually do believe that there was a person who died on a cross, was put in a tomb, and then rose from the dead. And so, um, and the power in that. First of all, it requires faith to believe that because it kind of it is ridiculous. Like it doesn't, we don't, people don't get up from graves. So it requires something that is completely outside of us to be able to believe that. Like that, that's evidence for me that there is a Holy Ghost because I believe that, um, and we can only do that through the Holy Spirit. And and then it also calls us to believe that this is a God that can do the impossible and the miraculous, and that if God could actually raise from the dead, if God could actually raise Jesus Christ from the dead, then he certainly can raise us from whatever mess we're in right now. And certainly is a powerful God and certainly can change and has empowered us to change the world that we live in right now. And when I first visited New Community a few years ago up in Logan Square, uh, that struck me was the diversity of, of the church. And, and I, you know, you hear people talking about one day in the, in the new kingdom after Jesus has come, Every tongue, tribe, and nation will worship together. And, and I remember being struck that, well, that's already happening at New Community. We're, we're, we're kind of moving in that direction as a church. And so as we start services here in Bronzeville, I think the significance of the resurrection, one of the things that's so significant about the resurrection for us is that it grounds us in a future hope. That, that one day the reality is we will worship together. We will uh, participate in God's kingdom together, no matter who we are, where we come from, what our history is. Um, the fact that in early Christianity, there were Christians who clearly believed this, and then there was a whole lot of folks who mm -hmm. didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And as a new church, we walk into a neighborhood and a community where there are going to be folks who say, this makes sense, mm -hmm. and this grabs my heart, this takes my soul. And then there are folks who are going to say, I don't believe this, mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't sign up for this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think to, to tag on to that, there is... The, the, the resurrection grounds our, our community life. You know, like what you just said there, uh, there are those who aren't a part of our church yet who kind of look in, who, who observe us, and at some point, hopefully, can only make sense of who we are, what we do, what we believe, the way we love and care for one another, the way we're involved in our neighborhoods because of the resurrection. It's, it's, this, it's this thing that happened that holds our community life. 
together. Yeah, I think, I mean, that definitely resonates with me, like, because I was the, I feel, the, one of the least likely people to become a Christian, because I just thought it was all ridiculous. And so the fact that I believe this is just testimony to me that Jesus Christ will you know, I, I think I think hope is hope is hope is what wakes you up and, and keeps you moving. Um, hope is what says to me and to us as a church where we are and what we see and how we experience life is not the end matter. Um, where we are right now is not where we end up, um, and that has to be. Uh, and we've said this before about the resurrection in general. A claim of faith. It has to be something we believe, and it has to be something we embody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a church, we have a lot of chances to embrace this truth. If Jesus rose, then we can suck it up yeah, when ministry gets hard. That's you know, good. if Jesus rose, we'll get past the the hits in the chin and the jaw, and we'll keep going and keep kind of pressing uh, forward mm-hmm. and living out the mission of our church. Mm-hmm. It's not going to always be wonderful. Mm-hmm. It'll be difficult. Um, but we do have a hope in a resurrected Savior, mm-hmm. um, you know, who might not make ministry easy, but who'll make ministry possible. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Um, you've been welcomed already, but I want to uh, uh, just add to that and say welcome to church this morning. For those of you um, for whom new community is home, welcome home. And uh, for those of you who are new and this isn't home yet, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're very glad you're here. And um, we're starting, I should say we're continuing. In some ways we're starting. In some ways this has already been a work of God for a very long time. I mean, almost a year, uh, if not a little more than a year People have been praying and gathering together and learning together and growing together to get to this point where we begin worshiping every week. And uh, today, you're, if you're coming for the first time, uh, you're, you're joining into that. And so there's this, this element where um, something has already been taken place um, and um, and people have already been gathering. But at the same time, this is a new start. So this is the best time to be here. We're kind of both starting and having already started. We're continuing and starting. And so we're really thankful uh, for your presence with us uh, in church this morning. Uh, Tony, Tony, you did, a, you did a fabulous job with that video. Would you thank Tony for uh, interviewing He's an extraordinary fella. I'm learning about uh, his talents and his gifts and how he's just, uh, yeah, he's full of many surprises. Uh, I won't go too far into what was behind that, but he pretty much did what we said. He edited and cut what we told him to. <laughs> uh, he came much more prepared, I would say, than any of us, and hopefully he won't put the rest of the footage anywhere that is accessible. Um, <laughs> That would not be good, okay? Uh, But no, Tony, thank you. Uh, Tony is one example of a lot of people who are giving leadership, who are serving, um, so that when you come on Sunday and when you meet throughout the week, you're getting a taste of uh, how many people who it takes to to be the church. And so uh, thank you, Tony. I could go on about he and his family, but uh, we're really grateful for what you did in the video. Um, this morning, as you heard in the introduction, we're, we're starting a new sermon series with our new church on the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the future of hope. And uh, I thought about uh, where, uh, and part of this was because of the questions that Tony raised, I thought about how the resurrection of Jesus was was treated in my own background. And and as I thought about this morning and coming this morning to preach, I thought about the fact that for most of my life, the churches that I grew up in focused and emphasized on the death of Jesus Christ. I came 
primarily out of a Baptist background. And in the churches where, where my family grew up, it was, it was very familiar to us to hear about the cross, to hear about Calvary, to hear about the death of Jesus, to hear about the, the Via Della Rosa, that long road that Jesus walked on his way to the cross. We, we talked a lot about the death of Christ and we mentioned the resurrection because in the sermon or in, in the Sunday school classes in the songs, even though we talked a lot about the resurrection, we, we, we had to mention, uh, we talked a lot about Easter and the cross. We had to mention the resurrection. But if you walked away and, and were asked, where was the emphasis? You would walk away with a, with a strong appreciation of Calvary and the death of Christ and not so much an, a, the same appreciation for the rising of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus. And, and as I come to preach this morning, I want to say from the beginning that we have to connect both the, the death of Jesus with the rising of Jesus. But before that, we have to connect the death of Jesus with the life of Jesus. And, and, and as much as Jesus died for our sins and as much as he bore our sin and as much as he provided the, the atonement or the sacrifice for our sin and for the sin of the world, Jesus died, but he also lived. And as we think about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, we have to think about the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus is motivated by the love of Jesus. The Bible says that God loved us so. God gave his only begotten son. And every incident, every event, every miracle, every teaching all of the things we see in the Gospels that, that, are, that, are, that are under the category of Jesus' life and his ministry is motivated by love. Jesus lived because he loved you. Jesus died because he loved us. And Jesus rose victorious and triumphant over death and the grave because he loved us. And I think if we don't remember love, if we don't remember that, that, that emotion that enlivens us, we lose something when it comes to topics like the resurrection of Jesus. We lose something when it comes to talking about the death of Christ or the cross of Christ because the cross of Christ, the grave, the death, and the resurrection of Christ is a beautiful picture of love on display. There is no season that brings us to the love of God and, and, and the cross of Christ and the raising of Christ like Easter season. Easter season in the church, Big C calendar, is that liturgical time of the year from the resurrection Sunday to the week before Pentecost, those, those weeks in between from Easter Sunday to right before Pentecost, where we celebrate the death of Christ and look forward to 50 days later when after the raising of Christ, the church is born. So, so between the, 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 the time of Jesus' death and his raising and the church being born in Acts is what the church calls Easter season. And Easter season, those seven weeks or so, uh, is the time when we reflect on what it means to be a community who responds to a resurrected Savior. So before Acts, before Acts 1 and 8, when the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, before the church is born and Peter proclaims the gospel and thousands respond and the church is scattered throughout once again, and before Pentecost, where the church is born, the church spends time 
sitting with the scriptures, sitting with their experiences of having seen Jesus. Before the church is born and, 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 and sent to do mission, before the church is commissioned to spread the message of Jesus, before Pentecost, we sit with the truth and the memory of our Savior. And it's so appropriate for us as a new church who is starting here to sit, sit with the scripture, sit with these appearances, sit with these themes and to talk not just about the symbolic nature or the spiritual nature, but the actual practical, tangible nature of the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're going to spend these weeks talking about what it means to be a church who holds the cross and the empty tomb, who, who lives with Calvary and the multiple experience of Jesus being seen by his witnesses and his, his disciples. This morning, what I want to start with is just a little bit behind where the idea of a resurrection comes from in the Old Testament. And before I do that, I want to just be really clear that the resurrection is both uh, a doctrine and event. Say the word doctrine. Say doctrine. And say event. Now, if I were to look at my notes from seminary, uh, doctrine would be uh, what the church uh, teaches, what the church claims as true. So a doctrine is a teaching. It is a basic uh, fundamental belief about something. You can have uh, doctrines of God. You have the Holy Trinity, God making God's self known throughout Scripture in the persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there is a doctrine of God. There's a teaching about God. There's a doctrine of the church. There's a doctrine of sin. There's a teaching about sin, a teaching about these various matters. And so on the one hand, to be frank, uh, resurrection is a doctrine because our church has an understanding or a teaching uh, about Christ's rising. And you will hear that over these next weeks. And so I should be clear to say the resurrection is doctrinal. Our church, our denomination, uh, the churches you've been to before, all have some understanding and teaching about the resurrection. So on the one hand, the resurrection is a doctrine. But on the other, and this is where I want you to hold, the resurrection is an event. Meaning it happens. And, and as we look through the word of God this morning and over the next few weeks, I want you to raise this question of what it means for me not just to know and understand a teaching. Not just what it means for our church to understand and have and, and embrace a theology or an opinion about the resurrection, but what it means for me, for us as a church, to live with the actual happening of this man who was rejected, who was ridiculed, who was embraced, who was loved and hated. He died and he rose. What does that mean? The explicit concept of the resurrection, this, this word resurrection, this rising, it simply means the rising, starts in the Old Testament, in the First Testament, in the books of Daniel and Isaiah. Now, our, our, our Jewish relatives, scholars and rabbis will find passages that, that move us toward the resurrection throughout the, the Old Testament, throughout the first five books, for example. So, so there are these allusions, as it were, um, to the resurrection as an idea, but the explicit mention of what it means to rise starts in Isaiah and Daniel. I want to read two passages. Isaiah 26, there aren't up here, just one verse from each. Isaiah 26 and 19, and Daniel 12 and 2. Daniel, uh, Isaiah 26, 19 says, but those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy for your life giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. 
Daniel 12 and 2 says, Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. These two passages, Isaiah 26 and 19 and and Daniel 12 and 2, talk about the rising of bodies. And, and, And here begins... In the scriptures, this explicit mention of what it means to have a resurrection. And so from these two prophets, all through the time of Jesus, so from the closing of the First Testament uh, to that long period of silence to when Jesus comes on the scene, you have many people who are reflecting on scripture, reflecting on what it means to rise from the dead, to die and to rise from the dead. And not everybody believes in a resurrection. And even when Jesus uh, interacts with the Jewish leaders of his day, uh, the Sadducees, who are the priestly uh, leaders, do not believe in the resurrection. They, they, they don't believe it. The Pharisees, on the other hand, do. So it, you may fall into that passage and see where Jesus gets into it with the Sadducees. And they start to kind of ask him all these questions about, well, if this person gets married and doesn't have children, and if that person marries again and marries seven times in the resurrection, whose, whose spouse will he or she be? And Jesus is walking this fine line, and, but he's talking to people who don't believe in the resurrection. And then the Pharisees, on the other hand, do. His disciples, Jesus' disciples, we don't really know where they are on the matter because when Jesus tries to talk to them about his own resurrection, they basically ignore him. And it's not until he dies and their hopes are shattered and some uh, apparently grief-stricken sister comes along and says, hey, everybody, Jesus is alive again. And and they kind of shoo her off until they start thinking, well, is this possible? So, so throughout the, the time of Jesus, there are people who are all over the map when it comes to the resurrection as a possibility. So you have this, this movement in the Old Testament to Jesus' life and right after his death, and people are all over the spectrum. And one of the things that I want you to sit with, and if you're writing down, write this down, and we'll, we'll, we'll embrace this and reflect on this kind of a thing throughout these weeks, is that the resurrection of Jesus foreshadows a a hope that we will all live through. The resurrection um, is not, uh, in Jesus, it is an individual event. But for us, it is not an individual event as much as it is something that we will all experience. So we see the resurrection in Jesus the first time, and he is living through what eventually will happen to all of us. John Chapter 5 talks about that. And I'll read that in a moment. But in some ways, Jesus' resurrection is a preview. My wife and I are going to uh, celebrate our anniversaries coming up. And we've been talking about, yeah, we've got nine years. Got nine years. And uh, it's funny because, you know, organizing a date has changed a little bit for us because there's somebody who moved in recently in our house. Um, <laughs> makes things a little complicated. But uh, we're, we're, we're talking about what we want to do for our anniversary. And we, we either want to, we're thinking about dinner and a movie, and we, we're pretty set on the movie. We either want to see Tyler Perry's uh, Why Did I Get Married 2 or Chris Rock's uh, uh, Death, at a, Death at a Funeral. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. We've seen, we've seen the previews, and we know, and we've seen these guys in their movies before, of course, um, and we know whichever movie we choose is going to be funny, and we're going to enjoy it. And we know it based upon the preview. We know it because we've seen their movies uh, in the past. And, and in some ways, in, in a similar way, the resurrection of Jesus is a kind of preview for us to, to think about uh, this trailer, to think about this, this, this uh, commercial that, that we see in Scripture and to reflect a little bit on what it means for when we get to the actual show, if you will, of the resurrection. And Jesus is that preview for us. John John 5, 28 and 29 says, don't be so surprised 
Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Now, John, in in this fifth chapter, is telling us good news. And some of you were in church last week and you heard Pastor Peter talk about uh, judgment. And and, and here's the thing. The the gospel says that, that for the person who appropriates, who claims and who pulls into his own experience or her own life, who claims and appropriates Jesus Christ, uh, you, you rise to, to this eternal and everlasting life. You, and, and for the person who doesn't, you rise here, as John says, to this experience of judgment. And the thing is, for the follower of Jesus, there is judgment, but the judgment is not upon you. Uh, because Jesus died for your sins and because Jesus rose, when Jesus rose, he claimed victory over your sin. And so your resurrection is an experience where God looks and sees you, but sees you through Christ, sees your salvation and your judgment through his judgment. So so your judgment has been satisfied through Jesus. and, and, And here comes the good news as we think about applying Jesus to our life, Jesus to the mission of our church. And, and as we've had these three preview services, you've heard us talk about what it means for new community to be the church and why we exist and why we are here. And, and what I'm going to try to do over the next few minutes or so is apply the, the, or, or, or sort of anchor our mission in the resurrection, in, in the doctrine, in the event of Jesus rising from the grave. I hope you, I hope you walk away this morning thinking, seeing, wondering a bit more how the rising of Jesus enables what we are about as a church. And I hope you walk away this morning um, feeling invited uh, not just to, to consider and to think and to sort of develop something in your head like a doctrine, but I hope you feel invited to, to enter into the event of the resurrection as we live it out as a church. Because we're not here so that you can understand things better and so that you can learn more things, so that you can be uh, an intellectually strong person. We're here to follow Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at three appearances of Jesus in the Scriptures. Three passages, and um, we'll just listen to them and try to hear what God is saying to the church. Is that all right? So, so the first passage that we will hear is in John 20. But before you hear John 20, I, I want to talk just a, a second about Thomas. Because Thomas, or Didymus, is one of these disciples, these, these early followers of Jesus, who gets a bad rap. And, and you'll hear it in the passage. But, but Thomas, I grew, up, I grew up talking about Thomas. And I grew up hearing that Thomas was a doubter. Have you all ever heard, anybody ever heard of Thomas? Okay, raise your hand. Yeah, you've heard about doubting Thomas. Yeah, doubting Thomas. But before we hear of this experience where that kind of comes from, I I want you to hear something else that Thomas said. Thomas in John 11 says to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now, the context in John 11 is uh, uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus has died uh, and Jesus is waiting. He says, he's dead and I'm not there. You're not there. He's dead. And the disciples said, well, we should hurry. We should go. And Jesus says, let's wait a little while and then we'll go. And Thomas says to, to the disciples, to his peers, let's go with him and let's die with him. Now, there may be a hint of sarcasm, and I like, I like sarcasm, 
Um, but the thing about sarcasm is sarcasm always contains sort of minerals of truth. And so even if Thomas is being extremely sarcastic, even if he's being a bit playful, think about what it means to encourage other people to go and die with Jesus. Think about the commitment that has to be behind this man who says, I am willing to go and I am willing to pull you along with me so that we can go experience whatever Jesus is going to face when he sees this funeral. And and I think, I think it takes a certain, not just commitment, but a certain faith to make that claim. And, And even when Jesus checks Thomas in the passage you will hear, I think, I think there is something that we should pay attention to. So, so here, John 20, um, Laura, you're going to read John 20 verses 24 and 29. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I think in this passage, there, there, there is commitment, but, but not just commitment. I think there's something going on here, and I'm going to call it contending against doubt. And I think that part of Part of the church's responsibility as a people is to contend with doubt. We see Jesus telling Thomas to not be faithful, not be faithless, but to believe. And I think we need to hold John 20 with John 11 and to think about Thomas as a person with um, maybe with regrets, as a person, we talked a little bit about love earlier, as a person who is not just some cold, unbelieving rascal, but kind of this, this person who loves Jesus enough and who somewhere in him, and I don't think I'm reading too far into this, somewhere in him is hopeful that his disciple friends are right. And when Jesus says to him in this passage, Thomas, don't be faithless any longer, but believe. I think Jesus is modeling what the church's role is for us today, and that is to contend with doubt. Contend against doubt with faith. I think that as we carry the gospel in our lives, throughout our lives, we are contending against doubt. And in the people's lives, in your family, there are people who doubt Jesus, who doubt that faith is, is reasonable, who doubt that there is a reason for faith. And as a disciple of Jesus, can it be your role to contend so that there is hope, there is faith. <clears throat> I, think, I think if we make an assumption as Christians, it should be that, 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 that people who we come in contact with who do not consider themselves Christian, who may not consider themselves uh, spiritual at all, um, I think the assumption we can make safely is that everybody is listening for, searching for hope. 
And maybe that is a starting place. And I think here, as we see this, this, this doubting Thomas and Jesus, I think it is an image and an appearance that stops us to say, how do we do what Miroslav Volf, a theologian at Yale, says is rejuvenating a living How do we rejuvenate a hope that is rooted in the hot memory of God's engagement with the world? How do we enliven again a hope for people when they have been accosted by doubt again and again? How does God use the church to to engender hope for people with strong regrets? I think that gets to an articulation of the gospel. But I think it's a few steps away because it's an acceptable thing for me to talk to you about possibility when you can't see in your life anything about God. And part of our role as the church is to contend and to talk, yes, about faith, but to hold doubt, because you can have doubt and still have faith. You can be a doubter and still have faith. The issue is, do you have more faith than you do doubt? This is an invitation, this passage, for us to have greater and stronger and harder hope, even when we have This is an invitation for you, for me, for the people we love to experience Jesus. Not to hear us, but to experience Jesus. The disciples didn't tell Thomas, you're faithless. And it's different for Jesus to engage me personally. Because I'd love to have an encounter with Jesus and to hear Jesus say, Where's your faith? And I think that's our chance. I think our chance is to push people in the face of God so they can hear Jesus contend with their doubt. Second passage is Luke 24. This is a longer passage, but um, listen to this passage read. Uh, Amelia, Michelle, Reverend, Bishop. You notice that said pastor on that video, uh, uh, pastor. So read the word, Luke 24, 13 through 32. Yes. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the, to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleophas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group Some of his followers, excuse me, then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining 
from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at this moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Amen. This is a, this is a long passage, and, and I, I want to I pull one phrase from this passage. Not, not from the passage, but sort of as a theme from it. And that is, if, if, if the church's mission is to contend with with doubt, to contend against doubt with faith, I've, in that first passage, I think in this passage, that, that, that we see um, what it means to engage deeply with Scripture. And I think, I think we're not just seeing engagement with Scripture, but we're seeing engagement with the Scriptures in the context of relationship. These two men are walking along. Jesus pops up, walks along with them, and they begin to move through the scriptures with Jesus teaching them about um, uh, the scriptures and and sort of walking with them through the narrative and then story of scripture. And and I want to suggest to you that there are three marks for a church or for a person who engages with scripture uh, in the context of relationship. There are at least three marks. The first one would be um, that, that it, when a person or when a church community is engaging with scriptures deeply in relationship, we, we call one another to obedience. Remember, I'm talking about the mission of our church and these resurrection appearances. And, and I want to suggest to you, if we are a church that engages with the word of God in relationship, one of the marks of that is that we will call each other to obedience. If you do not come to this church, to your small group Bible studies, to accountability, to sitting at table and eating with me or with a friend or with someone from this church, and you don't feel like you're invited to be a disciple of Jesus who is more committed, who is following closer and harder, you are not experiencing true community. Because community invites you to engage with a God who expects your obedience. Obedience is never partial. And so so one of the marks of a church that engages with the word of God is that we call each other to obedience. We call each other, in other words, to live better lives, to live in response to the word of God. We call each other to obey what God's word says. Is that clear? A second mark and, uh, is, comes kind of out of the language of covenant history. Our church is an evangelical covenant church, and um, I took the history course for our denomination last year. Um, Pastor David went through this lovely experience this year. And it was a lovely experience uh, going through uh, the history of the covenant uh, in like a week. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> one of the phrases that, that, that uh, you know, I sort of snatched out of covenant history was something that the old covenanters, covenanters, as they call themselves, would say to each other. And it was a kind of greeting. It was something that was said in the small groups, in the conventicles, they call them, and, and in relationship with each other. They, they would ask each other when it came to making decisions, when it came to, to them uh, choosing things in their lives and sort of discerning God's will, they would ask each other this question. They would say, where is it written? And that was the old covenanter's way of, of, of stopping and saying that as you make this decision, there has to be a role, an overarching role that the word of God plays in you making this choice. 
And I want to suggest to you that one of the marks of a church that engages scripture seriously is not just that we summon each other to discipleship and to obedience, but we ask each other in some way or form that makes sense for us, where is it written? Where are you making sure that this decision is one that is grounded in the authority of God's revelation in Scripture? A third mark of a church that engages Scripture seriously. A third mark is that something happens to your heart called transformation. If you in your life take the word of God seriously, you will change. If as a church we take God's word deeply into ourselves and and, and sincerely and we engage in the relationships that God has given us here at New Community, if we take God's word seriously, God will change us. And here's the thing. If you're not changing, you've got to raise that question of whether you're taking what God says seriously. And God speaks through Scripture. These men on the road to Emmaus, at the end of the passage, at the end of the passage, after Jesus goes through uh, the scriptures with them, they sit down at the table. And I, I wonder what it would have been like to kind of be there, be one of those folks walking. I mean, can you imagine Jesus explaining his own words? I mean, talk about a seminar, talk about a class that I want to sign up for, right? I mean, even people who just don't like to read, because I mean, there's no text. It's just like, if you didn't read it, I'm going to talk through the whole Bible. I and mean, that's, that's a walk that I will gladly show up for. And at the end of that, at the end of this walk, at the end of their hospitable experience, sitting at the table together with Jesus breaking bread, at the end of it, he's gone. And what did they say? They say, boy, didn't, Our hearts burn. You know what what transformation is? It's it's something happening to your heart. It might the language of burning might just be a bit too romantic for some of you. But but I mean, but 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 there's that language of the heart in that passage. And I'm sitting here and I'm saying, why, why, why can't I talk like that when it comes to my relationship with God? Can I be, uh, can I live those words? Can I, can I live after having had some kind of encounter with scriptures with some of you after sitting in Bible study? Can I walk away saying, wow, my heart. Church, it's called to engage scriptures. How much time do I have? For real. I don't know. I just don't know. I can't see the clock. Five, five, ten. So we leave at five, ten. Okay, yeah. It's a setup. So I have five minutes. I don't understand what he's saying. He says, keep talking as long as I want. Okay. The last... One, there's one more passage, one more passage in Mark chapter 16. And, and if that first passage is in John 20 is an invitation for us to contend against doubt with faith. If the church's role is to be a people of hope and a people who articulates hope. The second image uh, in, 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 in Luke is engaging the scriptures in relationship. Then here is this third passage. And I want you to hear how Jesus is challenging us as God's witnesses. In Mark 16, verses 12 through 20. Ramelia, will you read for us? 
Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn belief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Amen. When Jesus encountered his disciples, he does something that I think is phenomenal. You heard, you heard uh, Reverend Dodson in the video talk about how, the, how people just don't get up from the dead every day. So Jesus rises from the dead, and you would think that the disciples, every time he appears, I mean, there are all these appearances in Scripture, and we're looking at three of them, but you would think every time he shows up, they just, like, fall down and start worshiping. I mean, that's what I would do. If I saw a dead man, well, he's not dead, but he used to be dead, now he's alive. Like, he would win my worship. Jesus, okay, okay, whoa. I'm, I'm on my face. I'm bowing, you know. And, and here's Jesus. He... He restricts them. He doesn't take their worship. He sends them out to evangelize. If anyone is worthy of worship, it would be this man who was dead for long enough to be, you know, decay and all this. He's alive now. I mean, what else is there to do except just sit? I mean, you're here. So why don't I just praise you? But he sends these disciples out, and and I think he gives to them a challenge that is for us as well. And that is, he says, you go and you be my witnesses. The appropriate behavior is not for you to get stuck and for you to talk to me about how wonderful I am, because I get that already. I mean, if he's, if he's resurrected, he's got to hear the angels singing in his ear, right? Like, you're, you're good, Jesus, you're right. So the angels here got a soundtrack, you know. Your responsibility is to go talk to people about what you've seen and to be the best witness to that that you can be. And, 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 and here it is. For some of us, that means looking for places to insert ourselves because we're around Christians all the time and we have to find people who don't get this message, who don't know this gospel. For some of you, it means going back to the people who have rejected the gospel and trying to find a more gracious way by God's help to communicate to them the truth that Jesus is alive and that Jesus loves them. For us as a church, it's this posture of serving and, 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 and living out what it means to be a resurrected community. I don't know exactly what it means for you to be a witness. But I know that there is a call in this passage for you not to sit, not to kneel, not to wait, not to get caught up in beautiful singing and worship and, and the presence of God that you have, but for you to live out an evangelistic lifestyle. I'm just about done. Friends, we serve a Savior who uh, conquered the grave. 
We, we serve a Savior who conquered sin and death and His invincibility is the antidote to the world's sickness. That's the point. What we need is a Savior who is powerful enough to conquer sin and death. And Jesus is that Savior. So, so, so here in this passage, in these passages, is an invitation for us to, to, to grab this truth of the resurrection. To see Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to invite others to be changed by this Jesus. And I will say, as I close, if you accept this challenge to be God's witness, if you are going to engage with the scriptures in relationship, if you are going to take seriously this contention that we live in against doubt with faith, You can expect life to hinder you. You can expect not just life to hinder you. You can expect the enemy of God to do everything he can. I'm talking about the devil to stop you. You can expect spiritual wickedness. The Bible says in high places, I like to say in high and low places. To push against you as you try to live as a witness. But here is the thing. Your Savior is stronger than any enemy. Your Savior is stronger than death. And he is the one who equips you, who empowers you to live as a witness. To hear the word of God and to be changed by that word. To have hope in the face of doubt. Will you pray with me? That God would give us as a church... Strength That God who um, is familiar with hard things and hard life would give us great power. Oh God, it is, it is our joy and our honor to be called your people. And as we sit in this Easter season, as we, as we hear the echoes of Calvary and the cross as we hear the hollowness of that empty grave. Tell us what it means to be your church. Draw us to the Savior who is alive. Who defeated death. We need you. We need you. In Jesus' name. Let's just do this without music as they find the mics and they're going to go say this. I need the
sing. I need the church. Go home. Come back next week. We're going to be here in between today and then. Live your life as a follower of Jesus, as a person who is a witness uh, to the wonderful work of a resurrected Savior. If you're new and um, you'd like to come to our Newcomers Luncheon next week, please sign up as you go. If you aren't in a small group, but you'd like to join a small group, even this week, and to start uh, the study of these um, resurrection passages, would you also fill out a connection card? You can get information on our small groups through that, or even our ministries. Um, Lastly, there was one other thing. If you have questions about our church, uh, come down after after we uh, say amen. Pastor David, uh, Reverend Dotson, and I will all be up here. Uh, so uh, uh, please come up. Glad to have you come up. All right. God bless you. Keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Have a great week, everybody.